0: Hi everyone, today we are talking about some strategies for sharing classroom instruments. This might be useful to you if your instrument access is somewhat limited or if you're just looking for some ways to streamline your classroom process. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 34 of Elemental Conversations. This is a question from a friend on Instagram, and they said, have you addressed games that include strategies for sharing instruments? I don't have a class set of most instruments, so I'm always trying to apply to plan ways to avoid bored waiting. Um, Yes, bored waiting is the worst. It is certainly boring, but it's also very unmusical, and there are probably ways that we could be spending that class time in a more pedagogically sound way, and also just a more interesting way for us and our students. So yes, I like this phrasing of trying to avoid bored waiting in the classroom. Episode five of this podcast talks about some ways to pass out and put away instruments. That might be a good place to start because we will be using some of those same ideas here, but applied in a more specific way to sharing instruments across a whole class of students. Let's back up, though. Let's talk about some possible benefits of not enough instruments, because while I know this is a challenge in terms of logistics planning, there are some things that we might end up being kind of grateful for in terms of instrument access. The first potential benefit that we might notice is that we have increased chances for modeling and we also have increased chances for student observation. So in other words, we can see the students better. The students can see each other better and the students can see us better. We have increased chances for modeling because we can go very slowly, uh, not in terms of the energy of the pacing, but just in terms of our process. If we are going to pass out instruments to every single student all at the same time and say, okay, everyone, listen, this is how you hold the instruments. Okay, go like this. That is more likely to be a chaotic situation. But if we can go kind of step by step, And give every student a turn, um, maybe six at a time to hold the instruments, the rhythm sticks in rest position and show how they can gently tap the rhythm sticks and things like that. That gives us a more strategic pathway to modeling and a more mm, convenient way for everyone to observe everyone. So that is a potential first benefit. Another thought is that this increases the chances for independent and interdependent musicianship. And that's because students can hear themselves better if they are the only one with the instrument. Let's go back to that rhythm stick example. Let's imagine that every three students in the classroom has a pair of rhythm sticks. Well, those students can hear themselves now much, much better than they would if every single student in the class had a rhythm stick. And then there are uh, fewer places to hide in the ensemble as well because of that. So students hear themselves better. There are fewer places to hide and it's going to increase their independence and their interdependence as musicians. Another option is, or another opportunity is uh, an increased opportunity for classroom management and social reinforcement. Here's what I mean by that. When we are passing out instruments and there is a limited number of instruments, let's just stick with this rhythm stick example. One of the questions that's going to come up is who gets an instrument? Sometimes we might have a signal that students need to give if they're ready for an instrument, maybe that's like a quiet thumbs up. Sometimes we might make it dependent on if they have been singing and doing whatever earlier scaffold we were doing before. Um, And then if students are giving the instrument to someone else, if students are doing the passing instead of us, We have some questions that students are going to need to ask themselves as well. Who is going to get the instrument? Well, I can pass to someone who is my friend and someone who I talk to all the time, or I have the option to pass to someone who I don't hang out with at recess. So that way we are providing this very concrete opportunity to move outside your immediate friend group so that when students are passing instruments, they are not always passing to their very best friend every single time. And it's the same kind of tiny group of students getting the instruments. And then when you get an instrument, what do you say back to that person? Well, probably we're going to say thank you for these rhythm sticks. And that's a good opportunity to provide some social reinforcement there as well. So classroom management and social reinforcement can certainly happen on many levels, regardless of how many instruments we're using. But if we have a fewer number of instruments, that can lead to some nice pathways of classroom management and um, how we treat each other in this musical space. So for all of those reasons, I actually prefer not giving an instrument to everyone all of the time. It helps me notice which students could use help at what points of the scaffolding process, and it helps everyone model things like rest position. I find that When everyone has an instrument, especially right off the bat, when everyone has an instrument, things can get a little chaotic for me in terms of noise level. (laughs) And I know everyone has a personal threshold of how much noise is too much noise for you in terms of overload. Uh, But for me, having a fewer number of instruments in the classroom, especially right away, again, especially right away, that can be helpful to me. So I want to start just by acknowledging some of the potential benefits. Okay, now let's talk about some principles for sharing instruments. The first thing is that everyone has a job. The second thing is to set expectations. And then the third thing is to think about where you can delegate. Let's look at everyone having a job. Everyone has a job regardless of whether or not your job is an instrument at that moment in time. So here are some examples of possible things that students might be doing if they do not have an instrument. They could be padding the steady beat while the person next to them plays the rhythm. They might be singing the song. They could be singing letter names instead of text. They could be singing solfege while they sign solfege. They could be doing a dance or a movement activity or a game. They might clap an ostinato or anything like that. There are lots and lots of options here for what to do if you do not have an instrument. And the, the specific musical job that you choose is going to be dependent upon your pedagogical goals and why you chose that activity in the first place but in general a very quick strategy for me that I don't really need to spend a lot of time thinking about is just whatever scaffold you were doing before you handed students the instrument that's what you keep doing while others have the instrument so that helps save time because no one is surprised or confused about what they are supposed to be doing other students are going to kind of move one step ahead and everybody else already knows their musical task Okay. So that's the first thing. Everyone has a job. The second thing is to set expectations. This is really important. Um, So we have increased chances for modeling and positive enforcement of behavior and, and everything like that that we already talked about. So let's expand on that a little bit. How do we want students to wait to play an instrument? What is their signal that shows you that they are ready? Sometimes, like we talked about, sometimes that might be a quiet thumbs up Which means that if you're going, Brittany, 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 give me my, my, me, 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 that's not a quiet thumbs up because you're making sound. (laughs) Uh, So that can help in terms of classroom management. It could be dependent on singing or doing a movement activity or clapping the ostinato or whatever it is. You might make it dependent on them doing the scaffold that they do before they get the instrument. So that musical involvement is really important because it shows that the student is listening for directions about how to play the instrument. But also very important, this serves as an assessment to see if they're ready for the instrument. So let's say that you're going to watch people pat a steady beat and then you come around with the drum and some people play the drum with a steady beat. Well, if I can see you padding a steady beat that is inconsistent, I know that you are not going to play a consistent beat on the drum, or at least I have a very strong hypothesis. And in that case, uh, it doesn't mean that you can't play the drum, but that means that I will know how to assist you when it is time for you to play the drum. I have some data that I can draw on when it's time for that student to play an instrument, whether that is, and this is a separate conversation about steady beat, but whether that is playing the instrument with you, um, or having you uh, play a little bit quieter or lots of other things like that so we talked about how students show that they are ready for an instrument there are lots of options there and you get to choose what your expectation is you as the teacher get to choose the second thing is how do you hold an instrument when you are done playing and how do you hold the instrument when you are about to play so what does it look like to be holding the instrument, but not making a sound on it. We're going to establish rest position very early on and then point out that behavior that we see in other students. We're going to point that out a lot because it's very tempting to come out of rest position. And one of the best ways we can kind of play offense instead of defense is by thanking the specific behaviors that we see, thanking students who are showing that very specific behavior of rest position. Next, how do we pass off the instrument to a friend? If students are going to do the passing, how do we pass it off? This comes back to some of that social reinforcement that we talked about a moment. Like we don't always pass to our friends all the time. Sometimes we pass to people that we haven't talked to yet today. Another thing is just physically being safe with the instrument. Students need to know how to pass them to each other in a way that keeps the instrument safe. And then this last one, in terms of setting expectations, this last one is really big. How do we respond if we are not chosen to use an instrument in this round of the game? Some common things that I'm sure we've all heard is, I never get a turn. So how do we want to handle that as teachers? Something that we can do, this is an option and obviously you can choose whatever parameters you want, including completely ignoring that comment. That's totally fine. Um, One way that we could rephrase that is to help students recognize that they didn't get a, a turn this time and that's disappointing. So reframing from I never get a turn too. I didn't get a turn this time and I feel disappointed. That is much more helpful than the whine of I never get a turn <laughs> um, because the reality is everyone gets a turn. Everyone is going to get a turn with this instrument. It's possible that not everyone gets a turn today, but everyone will get a turn. And then the last principle that we can think about in terms of sharing instruments is to look for opportunities to delegate who the actual passer of the instrument is. We can change who is in charge. That can happen very easily at the end of a song or game where students just pass off their job to another student musician who is showing whatever um, signal that we've established um, that shows that they are ready for an instrument. This takes less time, especially if we are passing out multiple instruments. So let's imagine that students are singing and playing the game to to Tidio, and one student is playing a Bordeaux, and then you have maybe five students or so with rhythm sticks. And while everybody else is playing the game and someone is doing the Bordeaux, these five students are doing an ostinato it takes much less time for those five students at the end of the game to just go past their uh, rhythm sticks to someone else. That takes much less time than us doing it individually. The other thing is that very often students are going to respond more attentively to their peers making a decision more than they would respond to us making that decision. (laughs) When a student has the leadership role in the classroom, that will very often make everybody's eyebrows kind of perk up a little bit. And all of a sudden, everyone's paying a little bit more attention because we're switching up who is in charge. Now the students are handing out the instruments instead of the teacher making every tiny little decision at every little part of the whole class. So those are some principles that we can keep in mind. We have talked about making sure that everyone has a job. We have talked about setting expectations on the front end before we pass out instruments. And then we've also talked about rethinking who is in charge of passing out the instruments. Now let's get really, really specific. Let's talk about some very specific structures for sharing instruments. For our purposes here, we are going to break this up by talking about games on their own, because that is a really easy way to look at how we can share instruments across the whole class. And then we will divide the other structures into learning activities and games. Games, of course, are learning activities, right? But they have kind of a different classroom process where a learning activity might take place outside the parameters of a game. Okay. Let's talk about games. We have choosing and elimination and guessing and chasing games. These types of games can be very, very streamlined for sharing instruments because the game has determined who is going to do the instrument part for us. This is something where someone is out or someone is chosen or someone is it, anything like that. That is a very easy way for us to kind of switch up the rules of the game and say, when you are out or when you are chosen or when you are eliminated, you will play a chord bordoon, you will play an ostinato, an unpitched percussion, you will improvise a melody while the rest of us do the game, or you will improvise a B section in between rounds of the game. One example of this off the top of my head is Here Comes a Bluebird. That song is Here Comes a Bluebird Through the Window. Hey, diddle-dum-a-day, day, day. Take a little partner, hop in the garden. Hey, diddle-dum-a-day, day, day. In that game, instead of those two students just hopping in the garden and then you play the game back again, instead of that, you have two instruments in the middle of the circle. And those two students improvise in question and answer form on barred instruments. So or unpitched percussion or body percussion or whatever it is. But that's one example. If there's a choosing aspect embedded in the game, that is very easy to kind of drag and drop an instrumental experience in there. Okay, let's talk about some other structures. The first thing I have is doubling up. We can have more than one student on an instrument at the same time. This is especially convenient with pitched percussion, but we can also use unpitched percussion here as well. Let's talk about this in the context of a learning activity. So maybe students are uh, two or three at an instrument, at a barred instrument, and they are going to figure out how to play the melody of the song by ear. So one person is playing and the other two are assisting, and then you just switch mallets And everybody gets a turn to try. So this is kind of a a small group idea that you can use uh, with maybe third grade up, maybe second grade up, depending on the activity and the song and everything like that. Another option is uh, students are playing a melody that they already know, so not trying to figure it out, but we are playing something that we already know how to play on barred instruments. One student will play and then the others who are at that same group can sing the song or they can sing on solfege with hand signs or they can sing on letter names while they point to the barred instrument instead of playing. And then same thing, we're going to switch the mallet so that everybody gets a turn to play. You might also have students doing this same type of process with rhythm sticks or other unpitched percussion where they are playing the rhythm of a song by ear, or they are reading a rhythm on the board. Uh, And in that case, one student has, let's just say, oh, I don't know, a kibasa, and they are playing the rhythm of the words on kibasa, And then the other student in that group is clapping the rhythm of the words, and then you just pass off. So that's in a learning activity where we can double up. We might double up also in the context of a game. One example of that would be the song Hunt the Slipper, which is cobbler, cobbler, mend my shoe. Let it done by half past two. Half past two is at the door. Let it done by half past four. Here, we can have a few customers singing the song while they pat a steady beat on the tubano. And because of the size of a tubano, we can fit, uh, you know, maybe three or four students at a time on that instrument. So you might have a tubano that is for the customers, and then you might have another tubano that is for the cobbler and their assistants. So if you choose to have two separate tubanos happening with steady beat at the same time, you can have perhaps around eight students playing the steady beat on a drum. And then at the end of that game, everyone who was at the drum, they just go back into the circle and they choose their replacement. So doubling up on a single instrument is a really convenient way to play this. Another option is to have stations around the room. So that can be if you have more than one instrument part happening at the same time. Let's look at this in the context of a learning activity. If you were to have a learning activity with different stations, you can put different groups of instruments around the room. So students sing the song and perform the instrument part at whatever station they're at. And then they just walk counterclockwise to the next station and play that new part. Something that makes this really fun for us when we think about how we want to structure this is that there are very flexible levels of complexity here. How many instruments are at each station and how many different parts are you going to have going on and how much within those parts, how much part work independence is there? Now that is again, fun because you can make it very complicated, (laughs) but for most of us, we probably don't need to start very complicated. And in fact, it's probably good for us to start in a simple way. (laughs) So let's imagine a simple structure for Alabama gal. And let's say that we are doing this in syncopa prep. Or you can do the same activity with any song. But let's just take that as an example. We're going to have two stations for instruments and two stations to sing the song. So let's put all of the barred instruments that you have on the left side of the room. Let's say you only have six barred instruments total. No problem. Those six students at that barred instrument station, they're just going to play a chord Bordeaux. That is scale degrees one and five, and you play them at the same time. And then when they're done with the barred instrument group, they go to the next group where they are going to sit down and sing the song. When they are seated and singing, they can choose to either pat the steady beat or clap the rhythm of the words. So that's the next station. The third station is rhythm sticks, where students are going to whisper and play an ostinato, Alabama gal rest, Alabama gal rest. And in the last station, the fourth station is also singing, where students sit down and either pat the steady beat or clap the rhythm of the words again. So in this example, every time you leave an instrument, you're going Back to reinforce that song with either the song and steady beat or the song and the rhythm of the words. So you have a station for instruments and then singing and then instruments again and then singing again. One reason that you might choose to structure in this very specific example, one reason you might choose to structure it this way out of all of the possible iterations of this activity is when we are in synchopa prep, one of the things we can do is contrast the synchopa rhythm with straight eighths so you'll notice that some students are clapping the rhythm of the words while other students are playing this uh, straight eighth ostinato alabama gal rest and then the rest of the students are keeping a steady beat so we have all of these rhythmic understandings happening at the same time but students are not aware that they are contrasting a syncopated rhythm with uh, like a straight eighth ostinato that's one reason that this structure is convenient and again this is going to come down to the exact pedagogical reason that you chose the song in the first place and then we can use that to kind of think through our strategies for sharing instruments. Something else that we might point out here is that there is a relationship between your instrument sharing practices and where students are on this partwork continuum. So you will recall from a few episodes ago when we talked about singing harmony in elementary general music, that was episode 29, we talked about some of these different um, steps, these different scaffolds of singing harmony as a whole, and depending on where students are in their part work skill level that can really inform your strategy that you choose for sharing instruments. Let's talk about how this might apply in the context of a game. We've talked about it in a regular learning activity, but you'll recall earlier, we looked at all of these different structures of games, including uh, like a choosing game or a counting out game, elimination game, a chasing game, anything like that. A very simple way to apply the station structure to a game is just when you're out, you choose if you will go to the station with uh, rhythm sticks for an ostinato or with with the barred instruments for a Bordoon or whatever it is. So you can have different stations around the room. Again, depending on the purpose of the activity and the part work skill level of your students, you can have different stations around the room for rhythm, beat, um, a Bordeaux, an ostinato, uh, perhaps playing a partner song, anything like that. And then just when you're out, you choose what station you will go to. So an example of that might be in the rhyme zapatitos blancos, or you could do something with something like apple tree as well. Anything where someone is chosen, where there is a specific person, or for that matter, you can do this with something like we are dancing in the forest uh, or another chasing game, whatever game you have, that structure can really help us, especially when it comes to stations and having students choose what instrument they are going to go to. Let's look at the last structure. I am calling this one just pass it down. The idea here here is that you have an instrument, you're standing in a circle, and you just pass it to the person next to you. Simple as that. In a learning activity, a very easy way to do this is to incorporate it into a warm-up. So let's say that you will, you know, greet students at the door, you sing your entrance song, and you were just walking around the circle, walking, 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 and then at some point you stop. And if you have an instrument in front of you, if a student has an instrument in front of them, rhythm sticks, a cabasa, maracas, a triangle, whatever unpitched percussion you have available to you, or for that matter, this could be found percussion as well. Uh, those students with an instrument in front of them will pick it up and you do whatever rhythmic warm-up, improvisation stuff you're going to do that day. And then that person passes the instrument to the right. Let's imagine that you have in a class of 25, let's say that you have like 10 unpitched percussion instruments in the circle. So, not everyone has one all the time, but after a while that you've been playing that instrument, you just pass it to the right. And everybody else is going to do the same instrument, excuse me, the same rhythm improvisation warm up activity, or whatever it is that you had planned that day. They do that on body percussion. We can also rework some of our classroom games to use this pass it down structure. An example of that might be a counting out game like BB Bumblebee. So let's imagine that in your circle, you have, uh, again, about 25 students. And in the circle, you have about 10 rhythm instruments that students are going to play. In the traditional version of this game, there is an object that students pass to each other around the room as they speak the rhyme, BB B bumblebee, stung a man upon his knee, stung a pig upon his snout, I declare that you are out. In this version of the game, students would play the steady beat on their unpitched percussion instrument, and then in the next round of the game, you just pass the instrument to the person on your right. And instead of someone being chosen by having students move an object around the room, around the circle themselves, we can have the teacher in the middle of the circle and the teacher just points to students with the steady beat. And whoever is out can still be out and you do the normal activity that they would do. Uh, But the version of this game would have students playing a steady beat on their own individual instrument and then passing it to someone else for the next round of the game. Okay. So that has been kind of a lot of structural things. We have talked about the benefit of not having enough instruments, why that actually might be a good thing. We have talked about some principles for sharing instruments, including making sure that everyone has a job and that you have your expectations set and that you are considering delegating who is in charge. We've also talked about many different structures for sharing instruments. I say many, a few different structures applied in different ways across different types of learning activities and games. So we have choosing, elimination, guessing, or chasing games, all of those on their own. Those are complete structure there for sure. We've also talked about the idea of doubling up on instruments. We have talked about using stations around the room and how that can tie into part work, independence and interdependence. And then we've talked about this idea of passing an instrument down, and that is super simple. When we look at what we have in terms of instrument access, we find that when we play it smart, when we are strategic about our pedagogical goals, we can make those instruments, even if we only have a few of them, we can make them last a really long way. And they go very far in creating this um, sense of wonder and magic in the music room, even if they're just a few that we are working with.